another week with me here on The Hidden World. Today, I am talking to a new friend, Jeremy Jensen. Jeremy is a psychotherapist practicing in the beautiful state of Utah. I wanted to talk to Jeremy after reading his graduate school thesis on the potential psychological medicine available through the use of what I refer to as plant medicine, but what is often colloquially called psychedelics. I myself have had a few transformational experiences with the medicine of psilocybin, otherwise known as magic mushrooms. And Jeremy has written a breathtaking psychological exploration of the use of something called 5-MeO-DMT and its role in the healing of depression. Now, I need to make sure that before we begin this conversation, that I make it abundantly clear to everyone listening that all of the substances we discuss today are illegal. And beyond that, using any of these substances in a non-controlled environment is dangerous. Like any medicine, if these substances are mismanaged or abused, or if they are consumed without guidance and caution, they can be lethal. I do not encourage or condone the use, sale, possession, or consumption of illicit drugs. We are here today simply to have a conversation about the consciousness-expanding phenomena of plant medicine as it has been revealed to each of us through our personal experiences and our education. Welcome to this week's episode of The Hidden World. Perhaps maybe the most meaningful place to start this conversation would be um, from a personal place to, if you're willing, to share your experiences with psychedelics. And I can share some of mine where it resonates um, or kind of amplifies what we're talking about. Okay. Um, I mean, like I, I have a pretty long history, so I don't know exactly if you want me to start at the very beginning or... Um... Um, yeah, you can. I mean... Um, I think whatever you think is salient for the purpose of talking about healing and transformation when it comes to working with psychedelics consciously. Yeah. Because I think that there's a huge distinction between recreational psychedelic use. I mean, yeah. sometimes that can kick you into a new level of consciousness, but it's very different than for example, what you described in your thesis, where you're going to a temple, you're being held in a religious ritual, and the point is for you to have some kind of healing. Yeah, and I think my recreational experiences, um, starting in my late teens and then like through like my early twenties, um, really set up um, like the later, like more mindful use, uh, more conscious. Mm -hmm. 
um, I got a lot of healing from like the um, the use where I wasn't being very mindful, but uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think. Uh, um, tell me about that. The yeah. So um, when I was, uh, I think it was like twenty three. Um, um, I found MDMA um, and uh, um, ended up uh, having uh, many experiences with MDMA. Um, and uh, um, it was the, the first time in my life uh, where like I ever just felt accepted and I was like, okay for who I was and there wasn't something wrong with me that I was acceptable, that I was like worth loving, that uh, uh, yeah, that I could have like, you know, some sense of good. Um, I came from a pretty, um, uh, at least emotionally abusive um, childhood and neglectful. And so I didn't have a lot of those inner resources built up and um, experiencing MDMA for the first time. It was a party atmosphere, like, and then like I ended up doing it um, at clubs and, uh, um, you know, um, uh, doing it a lot. Um, uh, but it was, um, yeah, that uh, that healing sense for the first time that like something would be okay. And uh, yeah. um, it wasn't until later that I really realized how much more powerful it would be though in the, the therapeutic context. So I got this level of healing from it where like if I think I was in like one of these PTSD studies, I'm, like my healing would have been much more significant. Um, I, I think I, I come down the line of like, I think that there's um, something to learn or something good possibly um, out of even these uh, substances that are illegal that uh, um, uh, we generally say, these are good drugs, these are bad drugs, um, yeah almost like there's a potential medicine in the center of these substances, but, um, you know, like any medicine, if it's taken inappropriately, it can kill you. Right. And like anything that like you don't have a good relationship with um, can become, um, you know, that relationship can become very awful and negative, or, you know, you can get in a, an abusive relationship, you can be in this relationship where you feel like you're a slave to um, mm -hmm. the, the other. Um, yeah. And yeah, so. I've always had, I, I told you this over the phone, but I, I've always had a boundary with myself and psychedelics where I, I have never done anything um, that wasn't a plant, that wasn't organic, and I have never done it recreationally. I have only done it in ceremony. Yeah. Um, and part of that is, be, I think, because um, of probably how I was raised um, to think about um, consciousness altering substances. 
And part of it, I think, is also um, about recognizing that you're playing with fire if you do this and that it is, um, you know, you can fly too close to the sun in all of, in all of these um, <sighs> ways of working with really archetypal energy. And I never wanted to, I wanted to show these plants my respect, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 um, I agree with that. I think that there like should be respect. Um, I think too, there's so many different um, ways up the, the mountain um, and uh, there is a space I think for recreation that uh, you're, um, there's a, uh, there should be a place for like having fun and um, you know, doing things that um, might not be as lofty a purpose as like healing my soul. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. Recreation to drop into a more um, like Dionysian sort of energy and that 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 is can be fun and that's it fun and merry and and there's purpose in play there's purpose in you know just dancing there's mm -hmm. you know purpose in um, um there is the healing elements in these things um and uh i mean i i think that like a rave is a, a sort of a, a different type of ceremony um it's a um uh but it's uh, all of these people getting together to dance to music and to feel this um energy as one and uh, uh i mean like when uh when you're on something like mdma in uh, that capacity that uh, it can be like a a really transformative experience to be like you know, I'm part of this group, even if the group like splits up and you you don't see most of these people um, afterwards. But uh, there there is like some oneness that can happen even in that. Wow, I I hadn't never really thought of something like a rave this way, um, and that makes so much sense to me. I I also have always been drawn to experiences like the one you just described. I just approached it from trying to find mystical communities, mm -hmm. like uh, charismatic religious communities where there was um, a ritual and a space and it did involve dancing and song. And But the idea was to um, essentially create group oneness and personal ecstasy through, uh, the collective ecstatic worship of a idea or a yeah. being or a, another, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, um, I mean, I I don't think I necessarily thought of, of it in um, sort of mystical terms when I was doing it, uh, you know, <laughs> like 15 years ago or more, um, but I, I I do think that uh, that energy is there.
read your thesis. So I feel, I feel like I want to just tee you up to talk a little bit about sure. your, um, I guess, more conscious uh, gateway into working with psychedelics, especially after your dad had died. Yeah. Um, trying to find a way to heal that trauma. Yeah. So I would say that, that, um, 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 it actually happened 11 years ago yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. and that was a really pivotal, um, time for me in my life. And that, uh, also is like a, a transition point from like less conscious party use of, of these things. Um, and I wasn't really using that much at that time, but, um, um, to a more conscious perspective afterwards. And uh, I mean, um, so my, my, uh, my father died by suicide um, and uh, it was very unexpected to me, very like uh, just, uh, um, you know, and with like that unexpected death in that way, of course, like I'm just trying to figure out like what I could have done or like, uh, um, you know, um, what, um, you know, just grasping at anything that, uh, hey, could I have done this differently or like, uh, yeah. Um, and um, a part of this was that he was, um, um, he had had um, some injuries, some back injuries, and then had botched back surgeries and then was given more and more um, opiates uh, through like uh, prescription opiates and became addicted to those and became like a, a different person from um, um, who he had been in my childhood. Um, and uh, um, so that was a big piece of like going like, what, like, why are these uh, like painkillers given out so freely? And why, like, what, why is the like uh, um, addiction, uh, why are the outcomes for treatment of addiction so bad? And uh, um, in my research, I came across uh, Iboga. Um, um, and do you know? What a boga is, so it's a it's a um, a root um, of a bush that uh, um, uh, originally grows out of uh, um, West Africa, and there's a, a tribe there, the Buiti tribe, that uh, uh, uses it in their ceremonies, and uh, um, and. Uh, I, I've never experienced it, so I'm uh, a lot of like hearsay at, at this, but uh, um, uh, what it uh, is associated with is like a lot of like very stern grandfatherly um, type of energy. Oh. And it's a, um, it's a really long um, uh, trip. It's like, uh, like a good 36 hours. Oh. Um, and uh, um, like uh, you commonly hear of people going through like life reviews and this is like showing you where you like messed up here and like what you could do better and then like just kind of going through like all these different things but uh, um, there was a, a heroin addict um, I think in the 60s or 70s that uh, found this and took it um, and uh, um, he uh, noticed that his uh, um, uh, um, 
withdrawal symptoms, like they were just gone afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't have the desire to um, use and then he didn't go through the illness. Um, and- uh, um, It's so interesting to me to hear this because you call it the stern grandfather energy. The plant has a stern grandfather energy to its medicine, its teaching. And I have heard ayahuasca described as the um, great mother or the um, sometimes dark mother. Yeah. And I know of a researcher in Canada that took a handful of heroin addicts down to the Amazon and did ayahuasca ceremonies with them. And I, I wanna say something, this could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure all of them quit using. Many of you may have heard of ayahuasca, but I would like to define it in a way that places it reverently in its own history and traditional use. Ayahuasca is a South American entheogenic brew commonly made out of a vine and a shrub native to the Amazon basin. The brew is used historically and presently as a spiritual medicine in ceremonies led by shamans among the indigenous peoples of the Amazon. The use of ayahuasca in South American spiritual ceremonies has been around for at least a thousand years. If you are interested in learning more about this particular medicine, there's a book called The Cosmic Serpent, DNA and the Origin of Knowledge, written by a man named Jeremy Narby, or maybe Narby, I'm not sure. In this book, Jeremy investigates the connections between shamanism and molecular biology. Through his thorough and astonishing research, he winds up hypothesizing that shamans may be able to access a kind of symbolic insight into the universe at the molecular level of consciousness through the ingestion of these native entheogens, specifically ayahuasca. It's an incredible book that left me mostly speechless. I wouldn't want to have to write a book report on it because I think I would just put the mind-blown emoji on the page and call it a day. I'll leave you to Google that book if you're interested in learning more. Yeah, um, and like uh, um, the, the use of psychedelics for addiction um, can be so good at breaking that like that point, but if you go back into like your environment and your, um, you know, there are so many other factors that lead into addiction that can bring that back up. But uh, yeah, so ayahuasca is great for that. Ayahuasca doesn't have the the same, um, you know, it. it uh, um, I might be speaking out of my bounds, but like I, I what I read uh, was that. Uh, uh, somehow the uh, uh, boga um, it binds to um, the um, the substance in your liver and flushes that out, and so there isn't any. Um, and so it's uniquely um, um, uh, beneficial for uh, addiction. And uh, 
so in the the aftermath of reading this and like you know going through like uh, um you know like why like it's so ridiculous that like this treatment can't be used um in the united states um, mm -hmm. um i i believe in canada and in mexico um it's it's still legal um yeah and uh um so uh, this like uh, researching into this like led me down more of a like a conscious path into um uh, using psychedelics as medicines and uh um it was uh um uh, not too long after that um i uh um i wrote about that in my thesis that i i uh, went to um um visit my aunt and she uh, was talking about this substance 5-MeO-DMT. 5-MeO-DMT is a psychedelic of the tryptamine class. It is found in a wide variety of plant species and at least one toad species, the Sonoran desert toad. It has been used as an entheogen in South America for hundreds, if not thousands of years. An entheogen is a psychoactive substance that induces alterations in perception, mood, consciousness, cognition, or behavior for the purposes of engendering spiritual development in sacred contexts or spiritual ceremonies. According to Jeremy's thesis, medicine men called shamans in South America would create these medicinal snuffs, which are fine ground up powder-like substances made from tobacco, tree bark, leaves, seeds, and other various plants which in this case included plants or toad venom containing this molecule, 5-MeO-DMT. The snuff was then placed inside of someone's nose and they would inhale it. 5-MeO-DMT is often called the God molecule because many people who have inhaled this substance go on to describe their experiences as an encounter with God or a moment of feeling complete oneness with that which we might call God. Um, she gave me an opportunity to take it with her um, in, a, in a really uh, nicely held little ceremony amongst her friends. And uh, um, she went first and uh, um, I, it's indescribable really um like what i saw but all all she did was kind of lay back and like it uh took effect um as soon as she exhaled her breath um but uh um i felt like this power in the room kind of like shift and like uh it was like uh it was like the air went out of the room and came back in really quickly, even though it didn't, it was energetic. And like, um, I just started crying because it was so powerful. And this is, this is my aunt, who's my, um, my father's younger uh, sister. Um, and so she was going through a lot of um, the, the pain with his death too. 
and uh, she was in a pretty dark place and uh, this medicine helped her um, get out of that. So she was um, uh, feeling suicidal and then afterwards was not. But uh, um, so watching this, uh, um, um, her go through this experience, um, it was just way too powerful for me. And I was scared and I was like, no, I cannot do this right now. And I, I need to learn more about it. Um, and uh, so that's what I did. And uh, um, um, I guess uh, a shortcut to like years later, like, um, the the first thing that I um, really found um, about 5-MeO-DMT was about this temple, um, and uh, there wasn't much um, information out there yet um, about 5-MeO-DMT, and um, I was talking to my aunt like, hey, this would be really cool if we could do it in this context, and I... I um, um, come back to her house several years later and um, um, I'm planning on moving to Oregon. And um, she coincidentally um, uh, gets uh, offered, uh, it's, it's word of mouth only, um, a spot at this temple. And uh, um, there's enough spots um, at this uh, uh, session for me, her, and a friend that I was uh, uh, driving up with. And so, um, yeah, we stumbled upon this temple that uh, um, synchronistically um, uh, several years later and uh, um, went to that. It was like in the lower level of this house and uh, um, nice, like a uh, kind of new age and uh, like uh, um, kind of Western type imagery like so um there was like god greek goddesses and gods and like uh um other like psychedelic type uh, like but spiritually like inclined psychedelic uh, um uh, art and uh what uh, the um the the leader of this uh ceremony he, he uh um has a uh uh uh, history in Western magic, and so um, uh, he he does this whole ceremony um, uh, based on um, uh, setting up a circle, a magic circle, and uh, having this like very strong container. Um, you know, you uh, do things in four directions. Well, yeah. I I was initiated into thinking about plant medicines through a a Peruvian shaman. And I think you were about to say something about um, building a container and opening space and, and honoring the four directions. And my, my teacher did that too. There was a, um, a ritual for, for the journey mm -hmm. that was supposed to hold the journey safely for the folks who were going to take it. Right. Yeah, and so the the container, um, just like in psychotherapy, like uh, you're trying to set up a container that's safe to, um, you know, bring up like negative material or process trauma or, um, you know, um, just have a safe um, environment that uh, you can uh, 
you know, do the work and do the healing work. And there, uh, just in the fact of doing this ritual, there's something in the air that you can feel. And it feels like, I don't know, like, it feels like there was something activated in the, the psyche. Um, and at the, um, was there, was, uh, the, the ritual itself uh, took about 45 minutes to, to set up the, the, the safe container. Um, and um, in that you also like uh, um, bring an intention of like what you would like to uh, gain from the, the ceremony and like something that you would like to leave behind. So kind of the positive and negative there. And uh, um, yeah, the, um, he blesses everybody with the, the five elements too. I mentioned that. So he does like a, Oh, like a water blessing, uh, like an oil kind of fire blessing. Um, and uh, um, I can't remember all of them, but uh, it, it, uh, it hits all the four elements. And then like he uses the fifth element um, for the spirit, uh, the connection to spirit is the, the substance itself. Um, and then uh, um, after, he's blessed and like done all the container set up then you move to the um right across there's a, a, a mattress where you uh, lay back and just take the the medicine in and the um the medicine is just so powerful like i said with my aunt like she just lays back a lot of people do that but a lot of people like get very active um and move a lot or kind of thrash about um, it uh, kind of brings on a holy madness um, I would say is that like you just go into like whatever comes up and uh, it, that could be primal screaming that could be like um, um, I love you I love you I love you like uh, just uh, um, anything that comes up so um yeah, that's the kind of the the um, container of this uh, ceremony. Um, after that, you go one at a time, and you have a, as much time as uh, um, you need to go through it. Um, and so, just based on like what I had read um, and what I had seen in the past, I was very um, frightened. Like I was like. I, I felt like I was putting myself up on like the gallows and I'm gonna either be hanged or like have my head cut off, like I'm gonna be executed, like I'm putting my life up. Um, and I mean, the um, the ego is so strong because it knows like what what's happening and it doesn't want to go away. And so yeah, it was one of the most frightening like uh, experiences um, just leading up to it. And um, uh, then, um, so when it came to my turn, I uh, um, breathed in the material. It's uh, vaporized through a, like a special um, um, container. Um, yeah. I, you, when you said the ego was frightened, or um, it reminded me, and you mentioned this in your thesis of, uh, I think it's a quote from Jung, where any, something about any encounter with the self is the defeat for the ego. 
Yes. Yeah. And when you know, when you consciously, willingly open your arms and do a trust fall into an encounter with the self, I think the ego trembles at that so fiercely. Yeah. And like, it's this, like, like you say, trembling, like that fear and trembling of encountering that God and the, okay. the, the, the self is the, the larger self is uh, um, often like a, an image of God. And yes. uh, yeah. I titled my thesis from self to self, mm -hmm. lowercase self to capital S self. So this ego self to the uh, um, encounter with the, the divine self or the, the larger mm -hmm. self. Um, so yeah. Um, um, in my experience on the, like, uh, yeah, as soon as you take it into your lungs, you start feeling it. And once you let go, it, it's, it's much more powerful than anything I had ever taken up to that point. And I had built up in the, the years since my father's passing to some pretty strong, um, uh, experiences, but this was by far much more powerful. Um, and uh, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but uh, um, they often talk about this like full release dose is that you become one with everything. And I didn't do that, um, but uh, um, the way that I can describe this is like, I, uh, I, I was still in my body, I was still me, but I kind of brushed up against the infinite that I could feel it. Um, it was like that uh, that old image of that guy like pushing his hand and head through the um, the veil. It's like an old al alchemical. Um, yeah, I've seen it. Um, photo. I was like putting my hand through the veil and like I could feel like this just... Uh, infinite love on the other side with that. And I was getting um, infused with that, like more love than I've ever like felt. Um, um, and uh, so it gets kind of mixed up because your your um, ego's not completely there. Um, but uh, at one point I um, was on my front um, laying down and I felt this um, uh, like thousand petaled lotus above my head. And there was this infinite white light coming out from the center of that. And the, the petals were kind of waving. And like, I, I, I knew when I looked into that, like that white light, it's kind of like that uh, near death experience um, that if you go into the light, then you're like, you're going away. And I knew that if I, touch the light, then I would be, um, uh, become one. Um, and uh, I, no matter what I could, like I tried to will myself into it and I couldn't. So there was just something that held me back. But uh, um, yeah, I was in relation to the infinite. Um, and then, then I came more and more out of it. And uh, I was so infused with this like, that love, like I was saying, like uh, it's uh, uh, such a like a powerful, powerful love that like goes like into your atoms, mm -hmm. and uh, 
I just ran around the room saying, I love you and like hugging everybody and uh, mm -hmm. just uh, um, being like um, so into that love. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, from when I took it in until like I was mostly down was like 45 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. and so it's a, you know, brief experience but like the the time doesn't really matter too at yeah. that point yeah well yeah you're in a timeless place or a, a space where time probably doesn't even exist yeah there there was the two parts of me there was still some ego there and then like seeing the infinite and being yeah. able to like touch the timeless and the, like the dream where in a dream it can take a second for an entire epic to unfold. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so this was really healing for you, yeah? Yeah, um, I mean, there was a part of me that was disappointed, I, I'll, I'll have to say, because of that, all the reading that I did about the full release and the- um, Can you say more um, about the full release? The full release is, uh, um, so you, um, um, basically, um, the analogy of like, I'm a drop and I go into the ocean, I become the ocean. Um, and, uh, so, um, what's associated with 5MEO as much, um, as anything is this, like, um, going into the oceanic, this like uh, becoming oneness, becoming like um, realizing that you are, you know, God playing a, 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 a part. Yeah, you're, you're playing a role. You're, you're, you're coming back into that. Um, so you're that drop that goes into the ocean and comes back and it's the drop again. But uh, that experience of the infinite and being that. I wonder if there is something wise in your psyche, though, that held you back from that encounter that, you know, um, I've had a lot of mystical experiences in my life, only, only a small handful with plant medicine, most of them have been completely sober. And, and I, I have always felt like there, there is a something that gives me what I can handle and takes me a bit deeper each time, but certainly in, uh, hmm. I think especially in the beginning of, of learning to, um, and wanting to open up beyond ego consciousness to encounters with the divine. Um, I don't think I could have really survived that complete, what you're calling full release or the, um, the yeah, absolutely. Like the unfiltered or a dissolving of, of the ego complex completely. And, um, and even still, you know, I, um, I haven't, there are certain things I still haven't done because I've, I have a sense of not yet, 
not now. Like I haven't, I've done a homeopathic ayahuasca ceremony. So mm -hmm. it was like, you know, an essence of the essence of the essence of the essence of the medicine. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and in that ceremony, I, I felt that there was a black female jaguar um, mother, like a mother jaguar, my mother. And she had her, she had her teeth in like the scruff of my neck on purpose. And she, she sort of said to me, no, not yet. Yeah. This is, this is plenty for you for now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I think there's definitely a trajectory um, in this line uh, like if you're working consciously that uh, you build and you build and you build and um, um, there's uh, you don't often get what you, necessarily what you want but sometimes what you need <laughs> oh yes actually one of the reasons i trust um, plant medicine ceremony so much if you are if you don't have underlying pathology that, um, because I, I think it's important to say, this isn't something I'd recommend for someone who has a family history of, of psychotic breaks or that they themselves are bipolar or there's any history of, um, you know, schizophrenia or uh, in on either side of the family, even distantly, you know, I, I think that there are people that can't come back from encounters like these. And so it's not, it's not wise for everyone to, to try to reach out towards the infinite through these medicines. Um, but when I, when I took mushrooms for the first time, I, I remember thinking that that was the plant medicine for me to start with. Mm -hmm. um, because I'd had, I talked to enough people that had done it that had really convinced me it was a gentle, a very gentle initiation, um, like a gentle mother instead, you know, instead of maybe like the great <laughs> dark complexity, but, um, I mean, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that, uh, but <laughs> well, so um, I, but I, I did this outside with a friend who grew the mushrooms himself really consciously. And we, we committed to a, a cleanse and some body work the week before, mm -hmm. and then set up a container, opened space um, as I had been taught to do this. And then asked, asked the plant, if it was a good day for us to journey and waited for a response and then also asked the plant how much to take. And then some amount of time later, I mean, I had been told by some friends who had done mushrooms recreationally that everything just looks really weird and that, that it's just fun. And, you know, they'd done things like take mushrooms and go to the movies and, um, my experience was so different. We were in the middle of a forest preserve in a 
-hmm. in a hard to reach part of the forest mm -hmm. so that nobody would walk past us. And I think it was in uh, maybe May or June it, um, on the North shore of Chicago. And, you know, we brought all these, we brought some food, we brought some water, we brought some tea, we brought yoga mats, we brought blankets, we brought, you know, really prepared. Mm -hmm. And I think we were there maybe five or six hours. And my, I had a really amazing encounter with non, a non-dual state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. I, although I could look backwards and forwards in time. So it wasn't that I didn't have a sense of my own ego. I did. I, I was connected to that, which I call Whitney. Um, and I could observe the, it's like a door had been opened right? and I could walk through it and I could see, I could see the mystery in the environment around me. I could see that the plants and the trees were alive and had consciousness and had stories and had wisdom and could teach me. And, um, you know, in every cell in the plant, in every cell in my body, the, the mystery was laid bare. I could see it very clearly. And um, I thought everything was, I thought non-duality was the way it was presented to me in that particular trip was um, such a relief. Like, oh, noth nothing is all good or all bad. There is no death. There is no birth. It's, we're just in the all. And, um, and I, I thought a lot about Jesus mm. and could understand I was a religion major in college and, and um, very devoted to the Bible for a long time. So, you know, I had frankly almost memorized his teachings and suddenly on this mushroom trip, they were one of the things that was like coming up from inside me and, and sort of unraveling with new insight into him being this non-dual teacher. And, um, and I kept telling my friend, I kept saying, oh, oh my gosh, this is so funny. It's so, our interpretation of this is so funny. It's so funny because it's so wrong. <laughs> you know? And I'm really laughing about it. How did we, but not mad, not upset, not angry with the church or anything, just aware of how limited and finite our thinking is and how complex and wondrous these teachings are and how, how hard it is for us to really metabolize and understand and and re even just walk through the door of liberation. It's frightening. We don't know how to do it. And um, but I, at the same time, it's just right there. It's, it's just right like, there. Yeah. yeah. And, and suddenly I was so grateful to everyone who had ever hurt me because I could see how it had been the, the difficult medicine I needed to I could see how, how opposites were gorgeous. You know, the pain opened up the medicine, the, the wounding was the wisdom. It was, it was, 
and I wound up sending text messages to people who had hurt me that was just like, and it would take me like 10 minutes to write a sentence where it was just like, thank you for everything. And it was kind <laughs> of silly. Um, Did anything come of that? Or yeah. I, 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 and I knew when I was sending these messages, I knew who was never, ever, ever going to respond. I knew it. And then I knew who would. And yes, there was, there was healing and, and um, connection and, and repair work that we were able to do. Um, Yeah. But I did mushrooms again once where the teaching that time for me was difficult. It was still gentle. It felt very loving, but it was loving the way um, a good enough mother would say to you, you are out of line. You know, you are harming yourself and others by not taking responsibility for X, Y, or Z, you know? Uh, what amount of mushrooms did you take on those folks? I have no idea. I always just ask the plant how much to take. And then I filled up my palm with the amount it said. <laughs> and then I took it. Okay. I never took a lot, a lot. All I know is that I, I always took less than the friend that I did this with. And uh, I mean... There's definitely something to be said for the set and setting your mindset going in and the, the uh, temple of the nature that you're in. Yes, the time that I had the difficult encounter with the mushrooms teaching, I, I had not set the ceremony up as carefully. I was looking for like a quick like uh, escalator ride to it. My attitude was cheaper, if that makes sense. I wanted, I wanted, um, I was bored and I wanted a, a, some magic. Right. And um, the plant basically told me I was being irresponsible <laughs> with, with these big energies. And it was, yeah. and that I actually had a lot to tend to um, in my life that I was ignoring and that I, w- I had a bad, I had a, a problematic relationship with boredom that I wasn't allowing um, the daily sacrament of nurturing my home and my life and my responsibilities to be the teacher it's supposed to be also. Yeah, and I'm, I, uh... I have a place in my heart for challenging uh, experiences, challenging uh, trips um, that you can definitely learn. Um, there's there's a lot more churning up to um, go through, at least for me, um, in those like times that uh, 
there's a lot of lessons there where if something's just really nice, it feels good. Like I seem to not take away the message as as deeply. Um, so, I, and I don't know if that like resonates with that, like the pain, um, like uh, the people that caused you pain, um, um, being teachers to you. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's great to go out and like, cause yourself pain um but uh um yeah there there's something just to be had or to be like there's something beautiful in the the challenging um, um uh, things that come up um yeah yeah yes i do think that you often need supportive systems that you can work within in order to um learn from the pain in the way we're talking it's not that's not often possible without those like i i wouldn't i didn't know how to work with pain creatively at all until i was in analysis i mean i could learn lessons from pain but i i didn't know um, I was still bitter and resentful, even if I had learned valuable things. And I don't think it was until I was in analysis and then it really um, went into hyperdrive after that first mushroom trip to be able to um, have, a, have a framework of understanding for pain like the one I'm describing now. Yeah being able to hold it to, to have your internal container is like mm -hmm. widened by these experiences and able to hold yeah. um so uh that's something that i noticed after my uh first five mbo trip was that uh mm -hmm. um everything like uh, i uh Afterwards, I was like, oh, I, I don't know what I was afraid of. Um, and uh, everything is just fine. You're okay. And um, and uh, um, I had this other image that uh, all the, the pain and the suffering that we go through in this existence, all the like negative, like seeming feeling stuff is, this kind of oil slick right on the top of like a, a vast infinite ocean below that's just pure love and infinite like goodness but it can be so powerful and it can be threatening but um at the the top is just this like thin layer of like negativeness that we we're hanging out in this reality where like a lot of negative happens but you, um, what am I saying? Like uh, that, uh, having that sense or having touched into that, like like being okay with some very intense experiences or very intense um, um, things that might come up internally or things that might come up externally, because you know it might feel really scary to be in a situation. Um, but I mean, if you can tap into that love, like you can handle it. Like uh, yeah. 
school. Um, There's a teacher named Tara Brock. Do you know who she is? Yes. Yeah, yeah. She says, uh, when you know you're the ocean, you're not afraid of the waves. Yes, yeah, exactly. So in my practice, like in my therapy practice, um, I am able to just sit in some very uncomfortable and really difficult things that I wouldn't have been able to sit in before this uh, um, journey. Um, Just able to hold that, uh, you know, that tension that sometimes needs to go forth and to, um, you know, to come out to, um, to, to process through. Have you had any experiences um, where you felt you've been able to touch um, the divine or or meet the self that that has not been through psychedelics, uh, and that could be dreams or uh, meditation or I don't know. Yeah, um, and I think like um, psychedelics can be just one part of this like multi-angled path of uh, you know using different technologies to you know, uh, um, get in touch with the, the, the psyche, um, the deep psyche. Um, so, um, and a very powerful, um, experience at the beginning of my, um, uh, I, I attach it to like the, the learning that I got later from psychedelics, um, is a 10 day Vipassana, mm-hmm. uh, meditation, silent meditation. Um, and had some very powerful imagery that came up related to my dad and my ancestry and uh, um, healing like the the negative uh, parts that came down from the older generations and being able to pass along like the the gifts and the the, the positive um, um, and uh, um, one really cool uh, mystical part of that was there was that whole message and uh, um, in the um, 10 days my wife found out that she was pregnant with our first son and uh, um, we we had no idea that uh, um, um, we'd be pregnant we were using uh, couple different forms of birth control and uh, (laughs) yeah and so um she had to wait until uh I got done and uh the uh to tell me but the very first like if you stop talking for 10 days if you stop like like your senses are like crazy like attuned so like once people started talking I could like hear like the voices like bounce off the walls and come back to me like uh, it's just super um intense and the first thing I did when I um got my phone was go and call my wife and uh um she said yeah hey we're pregnant and I was like what like (laughs) and um um, the messages like these like visions that I had in the um in the meditations um, just felt like they like mm. came down and like sunk into my like bones. And um, it was just 
so powerful and beautiful and um, finding out that, oh, maybe I can pass these gifts down to this um, little soul that's coming into the world. Wow. And, yeah. maybe, and maybe came into the world at that time because the conditions were right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so there, there's a lot more. Like I could go down that rabbit hole um, with that, but. Uh, um, my, um, my most significant mystical experience um, that was brought about by absolutely nothing other than urgency um my own urgency i i was in a period where i had a ton of anxiety and it was manifesting in my body for the first time that i was aware of i i understood i was 25 and i understood that the tension in my jaw and my difficulty sleeping was connected to anxiety that i was having these psychosomatic symptoms and i did not know what to do about it yeah. I was in a cognitive behavioral therapy at the time that was fine, that was helpful, that was good enough. But um, I, I had a, I had a sense of it being limited, and I, I, I had a sense of really needing to get at the thing, like, like what is the thing? And um, like I knew the symptoms were, were meant, I was meant to sort of follow them, to their source and that in the source of the symptoms would be the information I needed. You know, I, I didn't have a clear articulation of that in my head. I just understood that I, that I had big psychological work to do and I didn't know how to do it. It was January in Kansas and I went outside in the evening because I was feeling so anxious inside that I just had to get out. So it was kind of cold, but I went outside in, in the backyard and I sat by a, a tree and I like, I pressed my whole back against this tree as hard as I could. Like that was my idea of what was gonna help me. Um, none of this was rational. And I just, I just kept, like I kept trying to get every spot on the backside of my body against this tree and um, And, and I, I felt, I felt like I wanted to merge with the tree and then something happened where suddenly I, I had a flash of insight that as if I were the tree or if I were the tree, what I had been doing for most of the years of my life was living out on the furthest branch facing outwards, being really identified with the weather patterns. Mm -hmm. So if, if, it if there was a storm, then I was the storm. If, there were, if it was cold, then I was cold. If it was nice and sunny, then I was, you know, just really identified with what was happening right. on the surface of my self. Yeah. And, and I, knew that I had to turn around and look at, that was the phrase in my head, I had to turn around and look at the root system. Like I had to do it. 
And I was terrified because I was so afraid that I was going to turn around and see that there was something wrong with me, that I was detective or unlovable or irredeemable, or I don't know what, which is why I had been living out on this edge of myself. Um, but, and I don't even know what this means. I don't know how to describe this, but I, so I did it. I turned around in my, in my, I turned around imaginally, you know, and I, I looked at the root system of myself and what I felt and saw was gorgeous. It was also neutral. And I wound up just laughing. <laughs> and then I was different. I was different forever after that. It's beautiful. Yeah, and wild. Is it was that like a, a thing that like that's that's so Jungian? Like is that like I had never spent, to, towards I had never Jungian stuff later? Like uh I had uh, never spent a single millisecond in a Jungian framework. I had not gone to grad school yet. I took one AP psychology class in high school. Um, around that time is when I decided to take some psychology classes at a, at a university in Kansas City. And I, I read a little bit about Jung then, but it was after this experience. And then I moved to Chicago for grad school where I went to the Adler Institute. But my cousin worked as the administrative assistant at the C.G. Jung Center in Evanston. And she would invite me to their public programs as her guest for free. And I went to a program there on Tonglen meditation that was taught by my, my future analyst uh, named Barbara. And um, in that public program, I had an experience where I was listening to Barbara speak and I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I gotta, I think I have to see her. I think I have to do the work with her. And then I did um, and it was really transformational. And during my analysis with her, I, I did the clinical training program at the Young Institute. But yeah, the, this tree experience was before all of that. It sounds like maybe it primed you for like being like a more um, like oh finding Jungian uh, like oh there that that's that's speaking to like my own experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I applied for the clinical training program, I had an interview with the director of training at the time, this man named Warren, and. I think I had written about this tree experience in my essay. And I remember him saying to me, he's a very stoic man. <laughs> he said, many people study young, hoping to have an encounter with the self like this one. And he said, it's very interesting. He didn't say like, oh, it's so cool. He was like, it's very interesting that you have this encounter with the self and then want to understand young, <laughs> you know? And I thought, uh, okay, am I in? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> <laughs>
okay, very cool, Warren. Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, uh, it's a strange thing. Like, uh, um, I mean, I think my whole life, like I, I've been drawn to like trying to seek out these experiences and I've had them in different ways. And I think um, psychedelics is part of that, uh, but uh, um, uh, it's, is it strange that more people don't see these experiences or like, uh, um, I, I, I don't know, like, uh, um, I think there's a lot of thirst for like these experiences and there's a lot of, uh, you know, desire for like the like, um, meaning. And I think that's really where like Jungian psychology like thrives is in in that but uh, uh yeah um yes i agree i, I, I don't know well every, everybody wants i think everybody wants what we're describing but well maybe not everybody that's probably not fair but many people want what we're describing but there's um it's not widely visible or widely available or i mean i didn't grow up with parents that talked to me about this or teachers or even religious teachers and so you you kind of have to either be compelled or determined to seek it out and i think sometimes you know that can lead people into weird places like cults or drug addiction or you know uh, some dangerous stuff or it can lead you into um, magic and transformation and transcendence and liberation and wholeness and and maybe it's a uh, the adventure or the the seeking journey has has a lot of risks and and so maybe it's a little too frightening for some people to go for right. it and, and there's definitely those people like when i start talking about some of my experiences that like oh you're crazy i don't want to have anything to do with you or like yeah. their eyes glaze over um yeah and there's there's a judgment that comes through um and i mean like i, I feel like uh a lot of our culture, it just isn't set up for like honoring those things or that uh, if those things happen, like there's like something wrong with you or um, yeah, yeah you know, that uh, everything should be explainable right. and that we, we could fit everything into these tidy containers. And uh, it's just so wild to me because everything everyone loves the most about life is actually quite unexplainable. <laughs> you know, why, why do you feel certain big numinous feelings for some people? You know, why, how, how did consciousness come, come into incarnation in your unique ego identity in this time and space and moment. That stuff is wild. <laughs> and I mean, like, it's wild that there's anything at all, like, and, and 
look there is there's like wow this is what's a giraffe why do we have whales <laughs> you know yeah oh <laughs> if you really look even look at the natural world i think it is it's eden it's it's wondrous in a way that really makes me feel frankly kind of dumbfounded yeah. Okay, here's the question I like to ask everybody uh, to wrap up. Okay. What is one thing that you wish everybody knew? Um, the first thing that just pops into my mind is that uh, message that I got when uh, I uh, first did MDMA for the first time is that there's there's so much like unacceptability that goes on. There's so much shame that we have, um, and um, I, I wish we all just knew that we were okay and we were worth loving, and you know that we're we're all beautiful. And, whatever way we manifest into this existence. Oh my God, can you imagine what the world would be like if everybody could feel that, believe it, and live it out? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. completely, uh, yeah. 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 Okay, I wish everyone knew that too. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, I think that's the doorway to um, uh, this kind of I, probably fantasy of, of peace on earth is is that it starts uh, with an indwelling experience of, of love yeah. yeah thank you so much for talking to me um, be in touch yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Bye. Wow. That conversation with Jeremy was so fun for me. I love talking about all the things we cannot see with our rational left brain post-Renaissance Western scientific lenses. It is so thrilling for me to be reminded that what's underneath our ordinary consciousness is a gorgeous and infinite mystery to which we all belong. I want to thank Jeremy for being willing to talk to me about a subject on the fringe of acceptable science and psychology. His wisdom and humility inspire me. I look forward to being with you all again next week when we talk to my friend Parker about the hidden world of disagreements between friends. Spoiler, we've had hundreds and still love each other endlessly. The Hidden World is produced by David Gomez. Our theme song is written by David Gomez. And I'm your host, Whitney Logan. Be good to yourselves and each other. Bye.